0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Christmas Hyper Hope, with a message titled "The End of Sin and Death." So, turning your Bibles to Revelation 21, verses one to four, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: This Christmas, I've decided to deal with the matter of hope. And to try to listen as well to the voices that say it's all too good to be true. It must not be hope at all. It must be hype. You know, are we really to assume that with the coming of Jesus into the world, that he is the promise that all pain, all sorrow, all evil and all death will now one day surely pass away? Are you saying that the birth of Jesus signaled that a new day has begun and that because of it, all the evil of this present day will not prevail? That does seem more than can be believed. It must be hype. But so that we understand, this is the hope that's expressed in Genesis 3.15, that one day the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Translation, one day the chosen one, the Messiah, is going to defeat Satan, and consequently the days of his wicked kingdom will fall. Well, in order to emphasize that, let me read Revelation 21.1-4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Now, this is the final stage in the redemption of God's chosen elect. The day is coming when God will no longer seem far away, but rather, God will make his place of dwelling in the center of a new redeemed humanity. Having been saved from their sins by Jesus, God invites them to a new reality. The new heaven and the new earth, tears of sorrow, pain, and cries of injustice will all be relegated to the past and will never resurface again. And then comes the ultimate promise, death will be no more, only life, life. You know. Furthermore, Adam had been charged with ruling over the works of God's hands. And in the new heaven, in the new earth, we will rule and reign with Christ, exercising dominion over all things under the lordship of Jesus. Uh, I can hear the skeptic now. You know, All that would be nice. But how are we to think that such a thing can be true? I mean, if it helps you cope with the disappointments of this life, well, then good on you. But nothing of that kind will happen, says the skeptic. And to that I respond, it will happen, because it's already begun to happen. Let me offer a very simple illustration. Imagine we're living in darkness. The illustration I'm giving works best if you can imagine living in the winter above the Arctic Circle. It's dark 24 hours a day, and we have the existence of light. And that one day, the darkness will recede and the world will become light. Some argue it's too much to hope for. It's hype, they say. But then one day in the distant horizon, they see the sky turning orange and they see the rays of light streaking from the horizon. There, says the man or woman filled with hope, is the evidence that one day the entire world will be filled with light. Now from that illustration, let me take you to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 2 to a passage that will speak of the birth of the Messiah. I mean, we remember that later in that same chapter in Isaiah 9 verse 8, we're told that unto us a child is born a son is given, and so forth. We read that every Christmas because it's one of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. But let's go to the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah 9, 1-2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You know, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtalia, I mean, those are the northern regions of the land of Israel. They were the very first regions to come under attack whenever foreign invaders would attack Israel. These were also the lands that historically had centers of national idolatry. Gloom, says Isaiah. Anguish accompanied the gloom. In that very region, these people who walked in darkness would one day see a great light. Well, those regions were the very regions where Jesus began his public ministry. It was called Galilee in the time of Jesus. It was in this very region, a region in the time of Jesus, where poverty was rampant and farmers were subsistence farmers and fishermen were also poor. Demon possession was common and the sick didn't have access to health care. Life was difficult and it was cruel and it could also be very short. And it was in this place, the place Isaiah called the place of deep darkness, that a great light shone on them. We know that when Jesus began to preach in those regions, his message was very simple. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22, tells of an event in Jesus' ministry. There was a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute at the same time, and he was brought to him. I mean, that's the definition of misery. Demon-possessed, he was no doubt mad and unable to think and behave rationally. Being blind and mute also made it impossible for him to communicate as well as interact with the world. This was darkness as dark as it can be. And that man was brought to Jesus. And Matthew, who was there, simply says, Jesus healed him. In an instant, the demons fled. Light poured through the man's eyes. He began to speak. It was astonishing. And everyone who was there simply watched with amazement. Some of them had known this man for years, no doubt. Uh, They would have concluded the man was hopeless. But clearly, Jesus had done something remarkable. It was impossible, but it was done. And so immediately, everyone starts talking. Of course, they did. I would have too, and so would you can this be the son of David, they ask. The question means, can this be the Messiah, the one who's going to rule the world and defeat evil and end the day of sin and death? Are we standing at the threshold of an era that we've all been waiting for? Even the skeptic, if he was there, would have had to admit it was a possibility. But the Pharisees, I mean, they hated Jesus. They were jealous of his popularity and they wanted to frame a different narrative. It's all hype, they said. The kingdom of God isn't breaking into our day. No, 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 they said. This man is casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. And so Jesus challenges them immediately. He says, if Satan casts out demons by Satan, then there's a civil war in his kingdom. His kingdom is not going to stand. And then he adds to another matter. And here I'll let Jesus speak for himself. Matthew 12:28. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I mean, did you catch that? If, says Jesus, I was able to do this by the power of the Spirit of God, and I'm able to do what you have dreamt should happen in the last days, then know this, right now, the kingdom of God has come. It's here, and it's hard to argue with this. I mean, after all, what can explain what just happened? It must mean that the time when sighing and pain and sorrow and death will be no more that day has now broken into this era. Luke 11, 20 even adds, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now then, you might wonder how this is possible. Let me set it into context. With no one other than John the Baptist who was struggling with doubt. Matthew eleven two 2-6. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now you should see the problem. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has come, and he has evidence for it. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, for goodness sakes, all are healed. But if the kingdom of God has come, then why is John in prison, and why do wicked men continue to have their way on this earth? How can the kingdom of God have come? The day when death and sighing will be no more, when pain and sorrow have passed away, when in just a little while after this, unjust charges would be laid against John the Baptist, and he would be beheaded. I mean, how is this the kingdom of God? Yeah, a great hope as light dawns in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but everywhere else, the darkness seems to remain. I mean, is this hope or is this hype? I mean, part of the answer lies in how Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Now on one hand, he said it was already here, but on the other hand, he talked about it as if it was still some distance away. I mean, think for instance of what he said in Matthew 25:31 to 34. He said when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat, and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is, when does the kingdom come? It comes at the end of the age, and we're still waiting for it.
0: Back to the Bible Canada is just not a small team of people in an office, but a team of thousands across this nation who all share the common dream of seeing people confronted with the truth of the gospel. We're so blessed to be backed by faithful and generous supporters who do so much in making this ministry a reality. Sharon recently wrote in saying, we wanna be part of what God is doing through Back to the Bible Canada, not just in Canada, but overseas. That's why we support. If you believe in the mission of this ministry, please join the cause. Your gifts amplify the sharing of the good news consider sending a gift today to help reach our year-end goal by December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And from our family at Back to the Bible Canada to yours, Merry Christmas.
1: What is the kingdom of God? And and why could Jesus talk as if it were already here, and yet, indicated that it was still some distance away. And does this talk that the kingdom of God has come and yet we're still awaiting it, that all of this is simply, is it just hype? Well, let's see if we can define our terms the late dr george eldon ladd a new testament scholar spent a great deal of time examining every incident in the bible where the concept of the kingdom of god was found and he concluded And here i'm quoting him he said the kingdom of god is his kingship his rule his authority well that makes sense like an earthly kingdom when kings rule they exercise their authority and that's what jesus was doing the blind the lame the lepers the paralyzed the deaf And the demon possessed, I mean, that was all a result of Satan's kingdom in this world. Jesus once said of Satan that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And everywhere we see the effects of his ruined rule. Having led the human race into sin, destruction and pain are now everywhere. And on a personal note, the longer I live and the more opportunities I have to minister to people all over the world and meet them, I mean, the more I'm overwhelmed at the suffering of people, injustice, disease, war, hatred, demonic phenomena, the suffering that people endure is heartbreaking. Many a time I've cried out to God, how long until the day of evil ends? But when Jesus was ministering in Galilee for a little while, among a small group of people, Jesus would go from village to village and he would preach that the kingdom of God had arrived. And then he called men and women to repent and leave their wickedness behind and he would heal them. No, no, not like a modern-day charlatan today with those fake healing crusades. Instead, he would even speak to the dead and they would sit up in their caskets or walk right out of their tombs. For a brief moment in time, all the skeptics, all the people who said it was just hype, had nothing to say because what accounts for this? But let me get back to George Eldon Ladd and what he had to say about the kingdom of God and the way it was presented in the Bible. Dr. Ladd said, and here I quote, The kingdom of God is God acting in power and exercising his sovereignty for the defeat of Satan and the restoration of human society to its rightful place of willing subservience to the will of God. It's not the sovereignty of God as such. God is always and everywhere the sovereign God. It's the action of the sovereign God of heaven by which his reign is restored in power to those areas of his creation which he has permitted in rebellion to move outside the actual acknowledgement of his rule of redemption. (laughs) Big quote, let me interpret it. When the kingdom of God comes, then all areas of evil and suffering and rebellion against God are destroyed. You know, in the present, God is sovereign. That is, he rules over everything so that even evil eventually plays into his hands and serves his purposes. But, but, when the kingdom of God comes, evil ends sin, death, sorrow, pain, the things that John spoke of in the end of the book of Revelation, when the new heavens and the new earth finally come. When that happens, then the kingdom of God has arrived. No evil will again be permitted. So knowing that, let's get back to the ministry of Jesus. And to be open about it, what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm really influenced by Dr. Ladd. I mean, imagine the different ages. One is the age we now live in. It's the age of That's evil. Evil is everywhere. Governments that are supposed to restrain evil and promote good, often they do that, but often also governments become promoters of that which is evil. Then wars break out, resulting in great suffering. Disease stalks the land. And besides that, every human life, you know, presently it ends in heartbreak, the heartbreak of death. That is the present evil age. But as we read in the beginning of this study from Revelation chapter 21, there's an age coming, which we can now rightfully call the age of the kingdom. Do you remember how John described it in Revelation? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, back again to Galilee at the time of Jesus. When Jesus came, something unique happened that had never happened before. The future age of the kingdom of God had unexpectedly broken into the present age. There was, if you will, an overlap of two ages— The old age of sin and death was invaded by the new age of the kingdom of God. And as John said so aptly in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, John and the other apostles saw such glory. The lame man walking, the lepers cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead raised, the good news preached to the poor. Yeah, the light of this very kingdom of God shone in the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali, just like Isaiah had said it would. What then do we make of the fact that Jesus has now gone to heaven and the weariness of sin and death carry on? Well, to answer that question thoughtfully, I thought it would be helpful to quote Paul from Colossians 2:13 to 15. And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, you're going to notice that here in this passage, we also speak about the great enemy of the human race, that is death. But here it's not physical death that's mentioned, it's spiritual death. Dead in your trespasses, says Paul, and suddenly we are made to confront the the greatest crisis of the human race, and it's not the evil that's out there, it's the evil that's in here. You know, in the current contemporary thought climate it's become quite acceptable to speak about structural sins. The government, the institutions that promote every sin from, you know, racism to the abuse of power, to the destruction of the environment, to the mistreatment of the poor. And even though in some places in the world, you know, where people shout death to America. You know, isn't it fascinating that in other places in the world, we shout death to the structures and the institutions of our culture. But are we listening to ourselves? The evil is always out there, we say, somewhere else. But the scripture tells us that the evil is in here, inside of ourselves. And it's so profound that it's called dead in trespasses. We're wrapped in the grave clothes of our sinfulness, and we are unable to escape as a dead man is incapable of rising from his tomb. Dead in trespasses, profoundly lost in evil, if the kingdom of God is to come. It will have to end all the evil inside of us, including the love of evil that lies inside of our hearts. Don't you see? We're uncomfortable in finding evil in here. We're very comfortable with finding it out there. When the kingdom comes, every evildoer, and that includes us, for all of us, are evildoers will have to give an account of our evil and receive the just sentence of every infraction of God's law. And here's Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven. Even as he stood before the tomb of Lazarus and commanded the dead man to come out, he now stands before the tomb of sinners today and calls him or her to awaken and come out of sin. But how can Jesus do that, seeing there is a written record of the sins of every one of us, a record that is there before God? God will not ignore that record. He will call us to account in the day when the kingdom of God arrives, and suddenly the kingdom of God is a day of terror. But God nailed the record of the sins of all who hear his voice and repent of their sins. He nailed their record to the cross of his son Jesus, who suffered the penalty for our sins. But more, by nailing those sins to the cross, the rulers and authorities of the satanic host were put to shame for they were no longer able to hold us in the grave of our own sins. We once were dead, but now we're alive. And this is the message of the kingdom of God. It makes so much sense. It's not just that Jesus healed the blind and the lame. It's that Jesus removes the guilt of sin from everyone who repents and comes to him, that is, becomes his follower. All over the world, people are hearing the good news, and they are repenting of their sins and coming to God. That's Christ's kingdom in this world today. Let me return to my opening illustration of someone living in winter above the Arctic Circle and seeing the first rays of sun. This is Jesus in the world. The first rays of his light have already begun to shine and because of that, we know that this world will be flooded with daylight. This is not hype. No, no, this is genuine hope.
0: Thanks for your message John. Let me ask you in, in simple terms, what is the good news that the believer can hold on to in these days? Well, the good news
1: is that God has sent his son into the world. That's that's the first thing. He is not simply abandoned us in our rebellion. He has sent a savior to rescue us from darkness. That savior preached the kingdom of God and gave us hope. We also recognize that he paid the penalty for our sins so that all who trust in him might be forgiven and that he was raised from the dead with the hope that we will be raised with him and have eternal
0: life. Thanks so much, John. And Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Christmas Hyper Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. Jesus came with the grace of forgiveness and the truth which transforms. And your support enables Back to the Bible Canada to sow this biblical truth in a spiritual famine. By your prayers and generosity, God's word grants light and life to families under stress, seniors isolated in apartments, truckers alone on the road, unbelievers whose hearts and minds are in turmoil. Now the month of December marks year end for charitable donations. This year, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are looking to raise $517,000 to reach our year-end budget. We hope you'll stand with us with your year-end gifts. This goal has been set not as an achievement, but as preparation and promise. To give your gift, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.